1: Live from the Nasdaq market overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Nadine Turman. Tim will join us in just a minute. Tonight on Fast, we're charting this comeback. Stocks staging a big about-face today, so where are we headed next? The chart master is breaking it down. Plus, Wall Street's biggest bear says get ready for more selling. Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson is with us. Why, he's calling for another 10% drop in stocks. And we're all over the after-hours action shares of IBM. The stock popping on earnings with the company's call just getting underway. We'll bring you the latest from its quarter. We start off with what became a massive comeback on Wall Street. The Nasdaq fully erasing a nearly 5% loss from early in the clo- in the day to the close in the green. The S&P, which briefly entered correction territory as well as the Dow, also managing gains on the session. This is markets get ready for a very big week. The Fed meeting starts tomorrow. A slew of earnings reports from Microsoft to Apple and Tesla. So has the market put in its bottom? Is there more pain to come? And I'll ask you this question, Tim Seymour. Glass half full or glass half empty on this market? <laughs> you know, I have to go half
2: empty. I know that's probably not what people want to hear on a, on a- a violent day of volatility that that finished to, to to the upside with some equally strong volatility. But I think the technical damage that we started to put in uh, even Friday afternoon. So again, breaking through those uh, October three lows, some elements o- overall, I, I think, of, of where you're starting to see even the participation of some of the biggest market cap names. We we've all talked about that on this uh, on this desk. and And I guess, you know, ultimately what concerns me is that we saw this selling really as we've seen, you know, a handful of actually what we've seen a significant part of the market be under this kind of pressure for six, eight, maybe even uh, four or five months, let alone weeks. But I I just think that the price action today um, clearly was oversold. We talk about relative strength indicators. So uh, without getting too in the weeds on technical terms, where sure, on short-term momentum, uh, where we got on the lows were were really things to to drop the jaw at. But I hate the technical damage that was done on the charts. Uh, I believe that the Fed is not walking things back, that they're not paying attention to the market right here and that, in fact, they're way behind the curve on inflation. And we're not really going to get anything out of this Fed this week. We're not going to really hear a whole lot about this meeting till the the, the minutes that come out in a month and and the inflation data readings uh, that are not going to give us a whole lot of relief. So market dynamics don't change here. um, And I think the technical damage is worse.
1: Yeah. um, And earnings really is the they're the big catalyst this week in terms of new um, potential news that the market needs to deal with. But, Karen, you know, if you if you had told me that we would fully erase five percent losses on any on any asset intraday, I would say, you know, that sounds like that would be pretty bullish. How do you interpret this? Karen, I think we're frozen that's what technology does for us. Can I <laughs> Dan, I'll pose the same question to you.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think the, the volatility from, from a very, very sharp um, correction is, you know, to have that reverse the entire thing and then actually close up. I think the Russell 2000, if anything, you know, that was even more remarkable considering how far it was from its highs. Um, you know, in November at its lows today, it was greater than 20% to close up a couple percent. If you look at the S&P and the NASDAQ, I mean, they couldn't get all the way back up to like up up a percent or two or something like that so yeah listen i I have a headache um a screaming headache if you were to ask me the glass is half full i hope it's half full because i need to take some advil here um it's this is one of those sorts of days where you know you don't want to take too much from the price action because we're going to get some follow-through tomorrow the things that rally the hardest are likely to probably continue to rally um, a little bit and to Tim's point about the Fed. I think that's important. But we're going to go through this huge period between, you know, the end of January into February. And we're not going to have a Fed meeting until early March. And, you know, by then we're going to have the taper kind of done with. Um, And so really it comes down to growth. And that's why your question about earnings is so important. What is the visibility that corporations have now for the first half of the year? I suspect that it's not going to be particularly great. If you think about the environment here, this Omicron this this definitely clipped some growth from Q4 and it clipped it from Q1. And if anything, if you're a corporation and you're seeing the sort of volatility that we have in markets right now and the way companies are being punished, let's look at that Netflix from Friday and the continuation of today, you don't really want to stick your neck out in a low uh, visibility environment. So to me, I suspect this volatility to stick around here because corporate managers are not going to stick their necks out.
1: Company Exactly. Companies have um, no incentive to be aggressive in their guidance, Karen. But the setup does get a little bit better with the sell-off that we've seen over the past week or so.
4: Yeah, definitely. Right. So Microsoft, even though it did rally an extraordinary 20 points in I don't know how many, two, three hours, um, it is down a lot. So the setup is better there, unlike the banks, which were up a lot going into earnings. We have a lot, you know, after Microsoft next week, we've got a bunch of uh, very big tech earnings as well, uh, um, I think Apple, Facebook, Amazon. So that's better for the setup. But this, uh, you know, this action today, I always find it so interesting when stocks just start trading in integers at a time because just clearly something much bigger is going on. I don't know what actually started the turnaround, whether it was the auction, whether it was when we had our midday call, uh, Bitcoin turned positive while we were on the call. So. Bitcoin 5% move isn't that big a deal, but some of these other names, it's extraordinary. You know, I'm looking at things like Ulta is one that's interesting to me, and I missed that. I did a bad job there. But, you know, to trade 20, 30 points, that's crazy. And yet, uh, you know, I still like it. I still think it's I think it's value here, but not who's to say that it doesn't come back tomorrow. We have just a terrible tape or maybe there's some geopolitical event I don't know. But I think that um, there's two different markets. There's value there. And then I still think, even with the correction, that there are some very highly valued, still kind of crazy valuations to me, because I do think the Fed has changed course. The game has changed.
1: Yeah. Um, One theory behind the turnaround is, is short covering, a short covering rally, pure and simple. Nadine, that's what you did midday. In fact, you covered shorts.
5: Yes, Mel, it's morning my time when we have our call, but I said, I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. But all the technical signals were giving asymmetry like nine to one, you know, 10 to one on some of the um, longs that we like. And on the shorts, it was the opposite way. So we started to cover in our more high beta portfolios. And obviously, sometimes you get lucky in the technicals and your process work, which happened today. Um, but I think the real story is, like, what happens tomorrow? And I think to Dan's question, we're hoping the half is glass full, the, the glass is half full, um, we can get some of that Advil in there for him. Um, but you saw last week, and not getting too technical, there was really wide eye premia, and those were an asset to the Bears' pre-options expiration last week, as the dealers were short something called Gamma. But now it can favor the bulls. We're past that time frame last week. And so what you have is, you know, with the VXX, there's wide and Ivol Premia, along with the VIX curve. It was backwardation. It suggested that the correction in stocks was really nearing the full pain point. You never really know because technicals can keep moving. But that's where we picked up on, hey, this morning, let's start to cover. Um, and what we're looking for is is that rotation to pro-cyclical leadership. You know, forecast a meaningful recovery in stocks. But if you see defensive start leading, then you got a little bit more careful. You're saying, okay, everyone's moving to um, a much, much more cautious stance. So we think that this could have room to run, but um, I also agree with Tim is that you have to be very careful here with the technicals. That glass maybe at 9 a.m. is half full, but by you know, my time, uh, 1 p.m. is half empty. Dan Nathan,
1: Nadine just threw out a whole bunch of fancy options Mm -hmm. terms, but it sounds like she thinks that at least Mm -hmm. near term there could be a bounce because things were oversold. What do you think?
3: Yeah, well, tune in 530 Friday's Options Action. I love that show. Um, you know, here, no, listen, here, here's the thing. And I think she's really correct. You know, you can look at the options market and you kind of get a sense for that sort of stuff. I mean, at the end of the day, we can take some cues from some of the price action in earning. Earning season is always really interesting because we get all this information. Look at how the bank stocks traded before we had this real meltdown, right, in the broad market. It really was about value. And if Guy Adami was here, he'd be telling you that JP Morgan was trading near 170 prior to earnings was way too expensive by the metrics that most investors look at. And I think if we're doing a price in higher rates, higher... prices across the, the you know like inflation and goods and services that sort of thing in a lower growth environment that's what happened over the last few weeks it just took out a lot of that exuberance no one cared until we were really in a rate hiking cycle about paying 30 times for some SaaS company or something like that so that's what's going on right now so i don't think this is going to change too much in the coming weeks and if anything maybe we rally because we were really oversold into some of these big earnings over the next couple of weeks but i think february could be really ugly and you got to keep an eye on today's lows and the nasdaq in the S&P 500. Because if we get back towards there, it looks like we're going to break them. That's when things could get really nasty here. I don't know anybody who's been in this market who was looking at the markets at the lows today and was thinking, this is a good press. Let's play for a, a, a crash. That's not how people do it right here. Wait for a bounce. I think we're going to be in a one-step-forward, two-steps-back market for a bit.
1: Um, Mr. Glass-Half-Empty, would you have felt better if we closed at the Hi. lows of the session? I mean, do you think that we we, the markets, needed sort of this sort of, you know, capitulation sort of moment, which we have yet to see
2: look, there's a lot of parts of today that felt capitulative. And if you look at the volume also in a handful of these stocks, um, Friday's volume and today's volume maybe in combination. But yes, it would be nice. And it'd be nice to have this textbook, you know, turn around Tuesday tomorrow instead of the turn down Tuesday we had last Tuesday. Um, Europe goes home and conceivably you've exhausted a lot of the short-term selling. But but this isn't about, uh, again, I I think this is a combination of the unknowns. And it's going to come back to earnings, which I think we're all a little bit cautious on. I, I don't know that they have to be devastated. And I don't know you're going to see uh, every, com- uh, every company kitchen sinking. Obviously, we'll talk IBM. Um, that's not what they did. But um, I think there's a question about where margins are going to be in a world of higher input costs, including labor. I think there's a question about really where the economy is going to be. But I think more importantly, there's a question about where the Fed's going to be. And, and I think more Fed equals more volatility. I'll say it every day. And, and by the way, we got to the 18-month highs on the VIX today. You don't get through that today. You will get through some exhaustion periods. But again, and I'm excited that we're going to listen to Carter and we're going to have uh, an argument on the technicals here because, you know, there's some significant resistance above us here. And, and I do think there's some factors here where, again, if you look at some of the long term charts and you know, look at Microsoft that broke through the 200-day decidedly, which it really hadn't done removing uh, the COVID downtime until the Fed downturn of of 2018. And again, that December 2018 period, uh, a three-year period for one of the best five-year secular stories. And the questions that people are gonna be asking themselves are, have we seen some of that come to an end? I don't think people are going to be buying a ton of dips here. I think, if anything, it's probably selling the rips. But, I, you know, the world hasn't changed dramatically, from my view, of two weeks ago, where mm-hmm. I still think there's a limit to what the Fed can do uh, in terms of how aggressive they can be.
1: All right, let's get the view from Wall Street's biggest bear. He is doubling down on defensive names. Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson joins us on the Fast Line. He is the firm's chief U.S. equity strategist and chief investment officer. Mike, always great to get your viewpoint.
6: Thanks, Melissa. Great to be here
1: you know, I asked all the traders this question. I'll start it off with you. Uh, glass half full or glass half empty in terms of the action in today's market?
6: Well, I can tell you this. I mean, this type of action is just not uh, comforting. I don't think anybody's going home feeling like they got this thing nailed, uh, even if they bought the lows. So, I mean, this volatility has just got to settle down. And, but it makes sense why we're seeing this type of price action. We do have this collision between, you know, tightening Fed and slowing growth. And as we wrote this week, uh, the reason we're doubling down on kind of the defensive side is because we think the, the slowing growth narrative is the one that's going to become more important. It's not a recession or anything like that. But, look, we, we do think there's going to be a payback in demand this year. We do think margins are a potential issue. We've been talking about this for months, it seems like. And we think the market is going to focus on this. So that does lend itself to owning companies that have earnings, you know, stability, visibility, and achievability relative to expectations. But that's where the valuation comes in. And that's how we're set up. And, it's, and quite frankly, it's been working really well since you know, mid-November. And we're going to stick with it because I don't see that dynamic changing just because we had a big sell-off in a rally today.
1: We were just talking about sort of the, the vacuum of events, uh, you know, for the for the equity markets aside from earnings, and obviously earnings is a huge event. But you're predicting a fall for the S&P 500 below 4,000 in the next three to four weeks. So what do you think is a catalyst? Is it just getting the clear picture from corporate America that margins won't be as good as you say? I mean, what what do you think, you know, precipitates this?
6: Yeah, I mean, part of it is I'm, I'm hoping for that trade below 4,000 because, look, my upside target, I mean, my base case is 4,400 per year end. So you know, if I think that's the case and I, I need something below 4000 to get really constructive. So uh, I do think it will happen. I think it's a combination of the Fed continuing on this course. They're doing their job. They're not going to back off because the market sold off a bit here. And the data really hasn't been soft enough for them to, to stop the tightening process. That's going to go forward. And then the second thing is around growth. Now, part of that will be earnings and guidance around 22. This will be the first time companies have done that. And I think some of them will take this as an opportunity to maybe lower the bar a bit because, look, it's, it's a tough operating environment. And then the third thing is the macro data. Look, the macro data is softened up, whether it's retail sales, uh, PMIs, you know, the companies that are doing these surveys, they're not feeling as constructive as last year. Once again, it's a difficult operating environment. So a lot of those metrics just have to come to- towards us and what we're predicting, and then we'll feel better that it's fully priced.
4: Mike, it's Karen. Thanks so much for coming on a day like today. It's a great one to have you, and kudos <laughs> on your call. So if you're talking to clients, though, who have to be invested in the market, where are you telling them? I know you said defense, but where are you telling them specifically to hide out? You can be sectors, not names.
6: Yeah, sure. I mean, it, look, I mean, even parts of technology, I mean, it's really taking it on the chin. You're you know, speaking of some high-quality names there. I mean, there's plenty of high-quality stocks in tech that are not that expensive. They're expensive, but you know, they deserve to be expensive. And we have taken a lot of froth out there. So that's, that's a form of defensiveness that has some growth to it. Healthcare is the other one, I would say, that, that has kind of that barbell of growth and defensive qualities. I mean, it's cheaper than tech, quite frankly. And then if you go pure defense, I mean, it's utilities and staples and REITs. Of that group, I'd say we prefer REITs and staples more than utilities.
1: And, Mike, is this a doubling down in defensives? Is, is this specifically for the three- to four-week time frame?
6: Well, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I think, you know, maybe nothing happens in the next three or four weeks in terms of price, and it doesn't give us an opportunity to, to go back in some of these areas. I mean, the main point of the note today, though, Melissa, was that uh, basically the cyclical group, like we're not, we're not making a big bet on cyclicals here like we were a year ago because growth is decelerating. And, and we think people got a little too excited on these cyclical parts of the market, and we think that's wrong-footed. So that's, the, that's really the, the main message of the, of, the, of the note today.
1: Got it. Mike, thank you.
5: Always good to thank speak you. with you.
1: Mike Wilson of Morgan Stanley. Nadine, are you with Mike on his call?
5: In some areas. So, you know, we've been talking about the rust plus H, so real estate, estate, utilities, staples, telecom plus healthcare. That's been a great place to be. And we were there in November. You know, those kinds of places got hurt the first few weeks of January because it was all about the cyclical reflation trade. But now we're going back into defensives. I don't think the timing can work though. I think that a lot of economies around the world, there's gonna be a slow growth of GDP except for in China. So I think it's more of a second quarter, third quarter story, not a two to three week story. But in the interim, because the technicals and everything sold off, you could see a bump up and then his leg down. So I think the timing might be a little bit off. All right, check out our chart of the day.
1: It staged one of the biggest reversals in the market this afternoon. Look at the chart, what do you think of this chart? It's Bitcoin rallying back towards 37,000, but that comes after a pretty rough stretch for the crypto market. Bitcoin extending last week's sell off to hit a low beneath 33,000 earlier today. That's its lowest level since last July. Karen, have you uh, added to any of your crypto holdings on this major pullback?
4: No, I haven't. Um, I kind of, you know, I use the sort of head in the sand approach when it has just (laughs) terrible weeks like it's had. You know, I kind of you make your bet, you decide what the size is going to be, and you know that there's a lot of downside and you live with it. And, um, you know, so that one, it doesn't bother me as much uh, because it's inherently so volatile. So no, I did nothing in that space.
1: But the entire crypto market cap, cap has been effectively halved from its highs last year to today, so what, Tim? I know you, you're in and out of crypto. What are you doing? Are you adding?
2: Well, I wouldn't say uh, I'm doing the head in the, hand, the head in the sand dynamic, and I, and I think what you have to remember during trading days like this is is also people get. I think emotionally more bent out of shape about the trades that they're missing as opposed to the ones that they're in that aren't going well. Uh, so uh, something that you know is a trade you were in that you sold too soon or something you wanted to own that's getting away from you, um, I think are the ones people tend to chase more. I, I, I think in the case of, of, say, let's call this blue chip crypto land uh, and Bitcoin, clearly that, Ethereum, clearly that, um, I think this is a place where you are fixing your spots. And I do think that the institutional ownership of these asset classes, that has increased remarkably in the last 18 months, is looking for those spots. I, I think this is a case where uh, these type of pullbacks we talk about the the 50% garden variety maybe is not quite garden variety, but is 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 you know 15 to 20 of these over the last five years for sure. And something that I think institutions are waiting to, to do. So I, I think you have a case where, look, what you wanted to own, what I wanted to own yesterday um, are the things that I want to own today. And to the extent that I want a, a portfolio of, of crypto assets that I think makes sense for the next you know, 12 to 18 months, this is a great time to be adding. Um, there's a lot of froth out there in blockchain, crypto, NFT land that honestly will be worthless. And I think today is one of those days where I think you got a reminder that the best of breed is something that people will
3: own at some price.
1: Can you get a deal on a board ape, Dan? I mean. I- <laughs>
3: What, wh- well, that, <laughs> what do you think? You know, Mel, that, that, that's a really good point. A lot of people are seeing actually a lot more stability in NFTs and the things that they identify, mm. the community, the benefits that they want. So you haven't seen floor prices come in very hard. I'll just say this. I bought Solana and I bought Ethereum this morning. I did buy some earlier uh, or last week. So I've been averaging into it. These are <laughs> things that I'm very interested in. When I think of the market cap of Bitcoin, Ethereum and Solana, and I land it up against, let's say, Facebook at just under a trillion, they're about equal I'm much more excited about the innovation in and around that ecosystem than I am a very centralized social media platform like Facebook over the next five years or so. Like so Karen said, she made her bet. I'm moving into my bet, but I'm taking a longer term time horizon right here. And I'm just, you know, again, we're going to have this sort of volatility in this space. I think it just makes sense to kind of do your work, figure it out. I just think pound for pound, I'd rather bet on that trillion dollar ecosystem than that of Facebook book for five years out right here.
1: All right. Coming up, we're continuing to dig into today's market reversal. Stocks staging a huge comeback, ending the day positive. So what's the next move? The chart master will be here to break it all down. Plus, we're all over the after hours move and IBM shares jumping after reporting earnings. The conference call is underway. We've got all the details next. Do not go anywhere. Much more fast money right after this.
0: The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all electric ZDX. the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
7: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on IBM. Shares jumping after reporting earnings. Let's get to Deirdre Bosa with the details.
7: Melissa, this is, of course, the first report since IBM spun off Kindrel. Investors, they are encouraged with the early results. It is early, though, and the after-hours pop only brings shares back to levels seen a few weeks ago. So keep that in mind. On the earnings call, CEO Arvind Krishna reiterating that he will deliver on mid-single-digit revenue growth and 10 to $10.5 billion in free cash flow in 2022. He said that in 2021, IBM was successful to increase its focus and agility, built a stronger client-centric culture. He said that there was fewer generalists, more technical specialists, and that, he says, has been resonating well with clients. But IBM, of course, now has to execute. Consistent low single-digit growth has been a challenge for years, whether that was under Ginni Rometty or Arvind Krishna now. So we will see if this new hybrid cloud strategy and focus pays off. Back to you.
1: All right, Debo, thank you. Let's uh, get back to IBM and trade it. Dan, Nathan, what do you think of the, the results?
3: Not great. I, I mean, in mid single growth estimated in revenues and But it's up
1: 5%, and deep- Dan. It's up 5% after hours. <laughs>
3: Well, I suspect we'll see it lower in the next few days. I mean, there's nothing here. And my friend at Wall Street Cynic, is pointing out on Twitter that ex-kindrel, the fourth quarter revenue, was up only 3%. So there's a reason why this stock trades at the multiple that it does. I know it had that big run um, after they had a horrible Q3 report um, just a couple months ago. I got, I got no dog in this fight here. It's just, I, again, I, I can't say, I, I think I've said the same thing for like 10 years on this show. This is just an ultimate value trap. There's nothing here. There's much more places, more productive places to put your money in tech than a roll up like this that just routinely gets things wrong so i just don't find it particularly interesting
1: but we finally might see if arvind krishna's you know efforts are making any sort of a difference kindrel of course is the managed it business that they spun off they agreed to sell watson health um so things are coming along nadine is dan pulling the you know is, is dan sort of writing this off too soon
5: you know, it's a tough one because Dan makes some really good points about the history of this stock and this company. And given the spinoff, and the restructuring, one of my colleagues is on the call. And there's just a lot of moving pieces in the results. And Dan pointed that out, right? So don't just look at the headline. You know, and going in this morning, the stock was way oversold. So you could have bought it, made a trade. And even at the end, at the close, we were thinking, okay, maybe it had 6% upside. So our trading range is 125 to 137 But if you're looking at it after hours and already up five, just be careful tomorrow because you might be pricing in some of the relief rally that things weren't as bad as maybe people thought they could be. Um, But this thing has a really high implied volatility premium. That means that people are really worried about it. It's 153%. So you could see follow through. (laughs) But if you have this stock and you played it, you might want to trim it after tomorrow. I got to the value investor. Value
1: Mm -hmm. stock or value trap, Karen? Uh trap for me. But
4: one, I got to give them, you know, some kudos. I looked at Kindrel and mm-hmm. they when they spun it off, it was five for one. It started trading at just over 40. It traded down to 15 and change today. So, I mean, that was a tremendous amount of value destruction, uh, but good for them for spinning it off. That old legacy business. It, it I don't know. For years, it's sort of been cheap, but it should be cheap. So it's not of interest to me. I'd rather buy quality that's gotten cheaper. Mm. All right,
1: we're just gonna start it here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next.
0: A major
8: market comeback. Stocks reversing in a big way. So where do they head next? The Chartmaster joins next to break it down. Plus, a retail revival. Coals surging as takeover offers emerge. So who's going to win this company over? You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this.
0: Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until. That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case unexplainable? It's Canva's
7: AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds.
0: Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now.
7: Canva.com, designed for work. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks, climbing back after a volatile day. The S&P 500 finishing in the green after falling nearly 4% midday. So where are we headed next? Let's get to Carter Worth of Worth Charting for some answers. Carter, what do the charts tell you?
8: Well, I mean, before we get to the charts, I guess the key is this damage has been done. I think everyone knows that. The question is, do you repair damage like this quickly? And history says no. In fact, there are stats around being down more than three or four percent on a day and then recovering and going green. And typically it's not all that encouraging unless, of course, an event like today, a reversal happens after a long and protracted decline that's been lasting for quarters and quarters. This is not that. But let's look at a few charts. The first is the s&p 500 and the rest will be the russell 2000 the key here of course is one way of a break in trend everyone knows it but we also have the circumstance you see those two ovals we made an all-time high late last year in november and we made a new all-time high in january now remembering that look at the russell 3000 of course what we know is on the next chart We did not see a new high this year. We have a classic double top. So the broader market never really confirmed the new high that was made in the S&P. But it's the same break in trend. And so now, looking at a long-term channel, this next chart is the Russell 3000, 98% of the investable capital in the United States since the 09 low. And that upper band, the lower band, these are mathematically uh, parallel lines. And when you hit the upper band and start to draw down, uh, typically you get to the middle or the bottom. Now, the next chart shows how far we've drawn down so far. We know we've come off 12, almost 13%. Were we simply to go to the middle of the channel, look at the next chart, that implies 18% peak to trough. Now, again, we're down. Twelve plus already, so that would only be another six. Where we go to the bottom of the channel, which is perfectly reasonable as well, then you're getting into something more along the lines of 30 plus percent. I think at a minimum, uh, we're going to the middle of the channel. And so by all accounts, that would imply uh, the worst is not uh, behind us.
1: So Carter, um, let's say we're, let's fast forward and say we're at the middle of the channel. What other sort of signs will you look for in the charts to tell you that a likely move lower to the bottom end is is in the cards
8: right so what you would to get us to the middle of the channel let's just start with that we will need to have breaks in apple and facebook and google and microsoft not necessarily breaks like netflix but sharp breaks that would get the market going another down Um, when you approach the middle of the channel it's not so much that the market is there it's how the constituents are acting when the aggregate is at that level and when you if and as you see stabilization, one can make the judgment that, that it's likely where it ends. It'll all it'll all be about how individual securities are acting if and as we approach uh, the middle, and I think we will get to the middle.
1: All right. Carter, thank you. Carter Braxtonworth of worth charting. Dan, you've been talking about this for a month. Concentration risk. Here we are. It's all gonna ride on the biggest tech companies.
3: Yeah, so I mean, Carter's used this example before, so I'm just piggybacking a little bit. So what have we seen for months and months now? We've seen just really bludgeoning of, you know, SPACs and high valuation tech, and uh, you know, throwing meme stocks in there. We're going to talk about a little. I mean, the list goes on and on, right? Recent IPOs and everything like that. So now they're just starting to get. So those were like the kind of the corporals and the lieutenants and the this and that, whatever. And they just got to the captains and they shoot the generals last, and and that's what's happening. And look at Amazon. You know, Amazon had a 20% peak to trough decline over the last couple of months. Microsoft was down 18% from its recent highs at its lows. We know that Apple is not immune to this. We've seen this on numerous occasions. In Q1 of 2021, just a year ago, Apple sold off a lot more than the broad market did. But right now it's showing very good relative strength. This is not an indictment of Apple if I think it's going down 20%. Look at how many stocks have sold off 30, 40, 50%. Snapchat is down 65% from an all-time high in October. Twitter's been cut in half. These stocks are not immune. If they start to turn lower, if there's any fundamental reason to sell them or if the market remains volatile for any reason here, they will sell off about 20 percent. And that's when you get those broad market, uh, those broad indices selling off because of the concentration of those names. So I think we've been spelling it out. We're not wishing it lower or anything like that. It just makes perfect sense that that's how this works.
1: I think then you got to wonder if Jerome Powell is going to proceed with his tightening path if we are down through that middle channel, going down towards the bottom channel. I think that's that's a potential major wrench in the technicals, Nadine. I don't know what your thoughts are on that.
5: Good example is that we had puts on Microsoft and I have sold those puts. So I don't think that We can look to just like one stock like Microsoft and say that's going to turn it under. I get the whole concentration risk. uh, But at the same time, you've just seen a lot of carnage out there. There's a lot of capital on the side. In terms of Powell, we've been strongly a believer that maybe he gets two rate hikes in this year. Maybe. Uh, Maybe he'll even start this week and say he's going to do it in March uh, just to get everybody on that path. We actually think that the GDP is going to decelerate and he can't do four. He can't even do three. All right.
1: Uh, Coming up, stocks may have staged a major comeback, but one retailer was in the green all day long. Shares of Kohl's jumping as takeover offers seem to be rolling in. One of our traders is in the name. We'll see how she's playing this one. Plus, AMC and GameStop getting crushed today. So what's next for the retail trade? We're breaking it down ahead. Fast Money's back in two.
8: Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after
0: this.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out what worked in today's sell-off. Shares of Kohl's on fire as activists take aim. The stock's soaring 36% after the retailer confirmed it has received letters of interest in acquiring its business. Private equity firm Sycamore is willing to pay at least 65 bucks a share for the company. This comes just days after Acacia Research, backed by activist investment firm Starboard Value, offered to pay 64 bucks a share. Karen, is long Kohl's? Are you still just as long as you were? yesterday or Friday, I should say. And and what do you think of these takeover offers? So yes, I am long. I haven't sold a share. I think that uh, they're both
4: proposals. They're not a formal bid, but this is a tremendous amount of pressure on the board. And if you remember, Masellam had started making their noise about a proxy contest, which they did it last year. So we have every reason to believe they'll do it this year if they need to. So I think the board is going to have to sell. And I think that this is just the opening bid for these two bidders. And I think that you're going to see a lot of the usual suspects there, you know, the KKRs, the Apollos of the world. One usual suspect I don't think you will see there is Blackstone, because Jonathan Gray has said they will not do a bricks and mortar deal. But you know who an outlier who might do a bricks and mortar deal is is Amazon. They do have that arrangement where you can return your stuff to your Amazon purchases to Kohl's. And we know that Amazon has been toying with bricks and mortar. And so for them, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. So for those reasons, I'm hanging on to it. And it's not crazy
1: expensive even here. What does it tell you, though, Karen, that, this, that the shares are below 64?
4: It tells me it's a terrible tape. It's not a, um, it's not a formal bid. And the company hasn't yet said we're up for sale. The next, mm-hmm. the next event might be the company trying to say <laughs> something like, you know, we have a plan and we think it'll work and we'll build value. But I don't think that'll work. I noticed on their website, they, I don't know if at one time they had a March 7th Investor Day on there, but it's not on there
1: now, because whatever slides those were in that PowerPoint, they got to get rid of those and come up with something else. <laughs> the poor associate, you've got to jumpstart on the uh, on the meeting slides. <laughs> They're not rewarded for sure this, this time around. Nadine, what do you make a, of a, you know, story like a Coles? And this is a story stock at this point, obviously
5: the date was march 7th by the way so i didn't notice that they had wiped that off but that was the big investor day march 7th on the books so maybe that changed now but it tends to put a floor on the stock and i think that's what karen's talking about and we've played this before like if you're worried about the markets for the next few weeks and you own this this is a great place to hang out maybe get a bid higher our trading range was like 43 to 68 so maybe get a few more bucks from somebody Um, So when we look at something like this, you can probably hang out for a little while, clip a few more bucks, but then you need to trim. All right. Coming up, Reddit favorites like AMC and GameStop getting crushed
1: in today's market action. So what's next for these names? We'll find out. Plus options traders piling into Microsoft ahead of tomorrow's earnings. We'll tell you how they're playing this one when Fast Money returns. Let's get another check on shares of IBM, cutting its after-hours gains sharply in just the last few minutes. Back to Debo for more, D.
7: Hey Melissa, CFO Jim Kavanaugh outlining guidance, and that is what has taken the stock lower in the after-hours. He says that currency dynamics, unfortunately, will be a headwind. He's saying that they're expecting for free cash free cash flow to generate ten to ten and a half billion in twenty twenty two. They just started the analyst Q&A portion and the first question questioned him on this, asking how he got there. But I think the tone here and remember that they didn't give this in the earnings release. This is just the CFO outlining it on the earnings call now is perhaps taking some of the wins out of the sales. But as we said earlier, Melissa, this sort of brings the stock back to levels
1: a few weeks ago. And IBM being a show me story, the market wanted more. All right. Deidre Bosa, thank you, Debo. Dan is right so far. I'm gonna say we have that on tape now. Uh, Tim Seymour, what do you have to say in response to that?
2: You know, not not a big surprise, and and even you know, Mike Wilson pointed this out that companies are not incented to give a a fantastic guide here. So changing conditions, it seemed as if you know the news hitting the tape was that they were reaffirming their their 22 guide. Look, there's nothing to get excited about with this stock other than um, an environment in the market that's punishing high multiple names. So at 14 times, no, not expensive value drop, very possibly uh, software business growing 10 percent. iCloud, their their cloud business growing 19, uh, Red Hat 21. You know, these are decent numbers. um, But we also know that there was a lot of one timers on this earnings release that made these numbers look a lot better.
1: Yeah. All right. Let's switch gears here. Um, Retail favorite stocks getting hammered today getting hammered this year. This comes nearly a year to the day after the retail trading trading exploded when Robinhood restricted trading for some of these popular names. This week, we're kicking off a series on the retail revolution one year later to find out what is next for this trade. Joining us now is Matt Kors. He's got skin in the game. Some of these names. He's both along AMC and GameStop. Matt, always good to speak with you. Welcome back.
9: Happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: So I got to ask you about AMC. And and as you know, every trade has an exit strategy. What is the exit strategy now that the stock is 77 percent below its 52-week high? I mean, if you're hoping for the mother of all short squeezes, the opposite has happened.
9: Yeah. So I think I would look at that for a couple different ways and of course these are just my own opinions obviously i'm not a financial advisor but since the start of 2021 until now amc is actually up over 700 fortunately i actually got in at first around the eight dollar mark so i think it's good to kind of see where this entire saga has actually taken us um but for me my personal risk i put money on the table that i'm willing to let this go to zero because beyond just liking the company I really like what it stands for from a symbolic nature, both AMC and GME, very much fighting for market transparency.
1: Are you hoping for a mother of all short squeezes, though? I mean, what do you you think happens? Do you think it ever gets that high again? Or is that just naive?
9: I mean, I'm not clairvoyant. I can't tell the future. I'm going to hold. Obviously, I want it to happen. I would love to make this money. And I think with it, Its success could, in one way or another, hopefully be tied with getting some sort of regulatory developments forward, making the market a little bit more equitable for everyone involved in it.
1: So has this become solely an issue stock for you? Or do you think that this is a stock? I mean, you've made money on it, but you have nobody actually makes money on a trade until you exit the trade. Right. And You lock in profits. So at Mm -hmm. this point, is it is this just for the cause of AMC?
9: Um, I would say with both AMC and GME, there's a little mixture of both. Yes, I think it's for the cause. And once again, this is just for me. Other people might be in just for the cause, just for making the opportunity of making money. For me, it's a little bit of both. For example, with AMC, I was just reading that the newest Spider-Man movie, $1.7 billion in the box office. There's a good chance that this upcoming earnings actually might go positive. And then in terms of GameStop, we know that they're getting into the world of an NFT marketplace. Clearly, they have a very indentured, I guess, Um, group of people who are enthusiastic about it. And in 2021, NFTs, they had a transactional volume of $44 billion in USD. So I think they have both interesting things coming down the pipeline that more of a classic fundamental analyst would actually be paying attention to.
1: All right, Matt, we got to wrap it there. Big day in the markets today, as you know. Thanks a lot. We appreciated Matt Kors, um, and he's got a YouTube channel, which you can check out if you want. Nadine, what do you, what do you, you know, we always talked about the retail trader last year as sort of being the incremental dollar in the market that helped the markets go higher. And here we are in this period uh, of volatility that that retail traders may not have ever experienced before. Is that a worry for you in terms of the pressure on the markets lower?
5: It's less so for that and much more, I think that they're seeking more professional assistance. Uh, Most retail traders haven't seen a macro environment like this where the growth of GDP is decelerating. They've never really had to risk manage not just individual positions to the degree they've had to the last few weeks, but their entire portfolio. So we've been just getting inbound floods of calls of people who were managing their portfolios who now want assistance. So this isn't a kind of marketing point. It's just this is what happens. This is what happens when how people were working before isn't working today, and then they realize, okay, like I need a framework, I need a process. So I don't really view it as anyone's stock or you know anyone meme, you know, or the retail trader. It's about the fact that, especially in these types of markets, you need a process. You have to have something that works. All right, coming up,
1: Microsoft on deck. The tech titan reporting results tomorrow after the close. That's got options traders getting in on the action. The details when Fast Money returns. Check out shares of Microsoft eking out a gain at the close after falling nearly 7% intraday. The tech giant reports earnings after the bell tomorrow. Options traders are betting that today's recovery is just the start of more to come. Mike Coe joins us with the action. Mike.
6: Yeah, so uh, Microsoft traded about 135% of its average daily options volume. Uh, That made it the sixth most active single stock option today. We did see calls outpacing puts by about 3 to 2, although that's slightly less than the 2 to 1 that we typically see at average. And right now, the options market is implying a move of over 6% by the end of the week, nearly double the 3% or so that it's averaged over the last eight reported quarters. And the most active options were all weekly calls. Uh, The most active of those were the Jan 28th weekly 300 strike calls. We saw over 27,000 of those trading for $4.84. Buyers of those calls are risking just over 1.6% of the closing stock price to bet that the stock will finish higher after they report earnings.
1: Yeah. Dan, you were looking at this one.
3: Yeah, so Mike was talking a lot about options volume. Just look at the volume in the stock. It's the most volume traded today in two years, which makes sense for a company with a $2.2 trillion market cap that had that range. But here's the deal look at that spike bottom that it made. It was pretty powerful of a reversal, as we know. I would expect to see some follow through into that print tomorrow night. But if they don't beat and guide up in a meaningful manner, you might see that breakout level around 306 from earlier this last year, I guess. If it can't get through there, then you're going to probably be heading back down there. And I think a lot of those big names, that might be the result after earnings if they just don't blow the doors off.
1: Yeah. Karen, are you still short software? I am.
4: Um, You know, long the Googles, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon in that order of size. So yes, I'm short the IGV, traded down a lot and then rallied, but I still got to say short. Some of those valuations are still really high.
1: All right. Uh, Mike Coe, thank you. For more Options Action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, we got your final trades. Mm -hmm. Tune in at 8 p.m. tonight for CNBC's special report. Scott Wildner and Jim Cramer will be sitting down to try and figure out uh, what this all meant and what we should be prepared for tomorrow. Time now for the final trade, though. Around the horn we go, Tim.
2: Yeah, I think you're buying energy names. They're the ones that actually would have been a buy yesterday, and Chenier LNG, structurally long term LNG prices higher.
1: Chairwoman.
4: Yes, I'm going for Value Tech, which is Meta Platforms, Facebook. You have all the Meta for free. Zero.
5: <laughs> Nadine. I was going to say Dramamine, but instead I'll give you China through the ETF FXI. <laughs> Dan Nathan.
3: Yeah, I'm ETH over META, and I'd be a seller of IBM here.
1: (laughs) Twofer. Thanks for watching. Fast Money, (laughs) Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right about now.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you.